Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Adam Nitty Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Adam Nitty. And today we've got the incredible Andy Wood with us. And Andy is a very special guest because of all the things that he brings to the table. Um, Andy, you and I are kind of cut from the same cloth. We both kind of sort of tried to create our own destiny as far as our careers go. There's so much I want to get into today and ask you about, but man, welcome to the show. Oh, dude, it's good to be here, man. Good to be here. Now, your, you know, your history, especially as, as far as it relates to, you know, performances and, and touring like that, I mean, you know, you're uh, you're no neophyte here. I mean, you've toured with Rascal Flatts, um, Scott Stapp, Sebastian Bach, you know, you've played with these people. I, I, I was going over your bio on your website and I discovered some some other things about you that I didn't realize. And what's this will kind of take us back closer, I think, to the to the beginning. But I did. I had no idea. So at 16 years old, you finished second place in the world championship mandolin contest. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went out there and was just hoping just to play good and have a good time the uh the guy that won it actually was uh at the time he was in his 30s and he was from italy and he played a lute so it was interesting to be at a bluegrass competition i tell the story a lot and uh and this guy comes in and he played a you know they they didn't really have a a, a lute contest so it got put into <laughs> mandolin and lute is bandolin-esque but the scale length is different oh man he was a great player he, he played a bunch of uh classical things i think he did one of the sonatas or partitas from bach i can't remember exactly what he played i was like i said i was i was a pup I was yeah. a kid. but uh that is, that's so yeah. amazing man and that, and that, then, that predates that predates my electric guitar adventures for sure by about two years <laughs> well and that's the other thing i wanted to follow up with on that at i was reading at age of 22 so obviously you got into guitar heavily and that's that's probably what most people know you for but you freaking won Guitar Mageddon that was the Guitar Center contest. I had no idea. That's ridiculous. There were over 3,000 contestants and you freaking yeah. won. I mean, yes, that's an interesting story because uh, we would go out. I, I'm, I'm big into race cars. And at the time I was in my early 20s and the contest was over the course of three or four months. Right. And so uh, at the time we were all going, me and my car buddies were going out and they knew that I played guitar. But to them, they're like, oh, our dude, Andy, he's the man. You know, it's like just being bros or whatever. They didn't yeah. play guitar or anything. And uh, I went into the guitar center to buy some strings and a guy heard me noodling around on something and uh probably fantasizing over a guitar i couldn't afford you know? <laughs> probably something like that and uh he said you should in this contest guitar mageddon i was like dude that sounds like spinal tap i'm not entering in that thing <laughs> and so my buddies were like dude you're gonna win it yo yo you're the man you know if you if you enter we'll cover your bar tab and i was like okay whatever so i did it as a joke and lo and behold my score was high enough to go to the regionals and at that point they were already starting to give me free stuff so it was already a win the wow. regionals for the southeast was at disney world so i got a free trip down there so it's like i'd already felt like i'd won oh my god then i won there and went to the finals and and just you know i i i Music is so not a competition, and I, I truly believe that any of the other six guys that night could have won. There was a guy from Chicago that was great. He played Archtop, like 175 kind of thing, and was singing harmony to what he was playing. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, there was a guy from uh, like the Berkeley area up in Boston that had a uh, uh, fantastic, like nuts, nuts player that was doing all kinds of, you know, cool stuff. And then there was a guy that did some of the Tommy Emanuel, Merle oh. Travis thumb pick stuff and he was fabulous i was just like man dude this like anybody can win this thing but i guess they just like what i played that night so wow and luck, so what luck. what was what was your what was your mo that night was was it a were you like total rock guy were you no, 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 no. I, at that point i hadn't even really got fully into rock i don't i don't know if i had discovered john petrucci in dream theater at that point yet i was 21 um maybe i just discovered him but i hadn't like learned any of this stuff or anything um and the way it happened was we were down in florida like i said for the regionals and i had taken an old my only telecaster i didn't we didn't come from a lot of money so we didn't have i had one 
professional guitar and it was an old fender telly with a checkerboard guard and anybody that follows me on instagram has probably seen that guitar and uh uh so i go down to florida i didn't have a pedal board or anything because they they were just like yeah we'll, we'll provide the amps and at this point this predates any like gear obsession things that have probably corrupted my mind at this point. <laughs> but uh my buddy uh his name was uh william casey but you know he's bubba to us so we're like B bub goes down with us and we're all having a good time and i had taken an acoustic guitar and uh just to kind of pick up chicks at the pool or whatever you know just like to have and play <laughs> not not intending to play it in the competition I go into the competition. All these guys have these big, like, loopers. One guy had a rack with an even tide in it and all this harmonization. And wow. I, was, I was just like, what am I? I've got a chord. I'm playing through that Marshall over there. I'm going to got clean and dirty, and that's what I'm going to use. And, like, these guys got all this stuff on them. I was stressing out. And, I, I mean, like, I, it didn't really bother me until that point that I felt underprepared. And that's an ugly feeling, all right? And so Bub was like, just play your acoustic for your freestyle because the contest was like, 20 backing tracks you could choose one and you had to play to a backing track then you had two minutes just to play by yourself mm. and the freestyle really is where a lot of guys shined because like the moral travis thing or like the slapping and tapping you know that stuff really is cool in a solo environment so i just took my acoustic on stage and plugged it in for my freestyle and kind of haphazardly made an arrangement of an old fiddle tune like on the spot with a cool little intro or whatever and uh yeah it ended up being you know working out that i didn't bring anything i I'd went so far in the minimalist approach and uh, i remember the judges saying something like yeah it's so impressive to see a guy come out there with a chord and i was like I, oh my I gosh it's, it's I, I didn't know any better <laughs> it's it's the classic cinderella story and and you know the the um quintessential spiritual music lesson you know that is uh if you don't if you can't make music with the simplest in the simplest of environments you probably can't make music in the most complex ones right and it's a great it's a great thing that i have to remind myself often I really do because now I'm kind of you can't really see my stuff, but I've I've got elaborate rig and like we've worked together. You've seen like, you know I, I I've learned a lot from guys like Andy Timmons and like mm -hmm. Tone and you know all the things cable length and like, like now I'm living. But I have to remind myself often. Uh, it's like what Tony Stark says to Peter Parker. He's like, if you're nothing without the suit, then you don't deserve to have the suit. Yeah. And it's like. That's a good thing to always just have on your, you know, on your computer monitor, your workstation. Be like, this your you, your music doesn't come from stuff, you right. know. Right. Uh, I, you know, I feel like a hypocrite saying that. Here I am wearing a, a sir shirt with a wall full of sir. <laughs> but the truth you is, it, man. the truth is, is like, man, you know, these are tools, and you have to remember that, like, you know, an artist has paintbrushes and colors. But you still have to have the creativity, and that's got to be at the forefront. And and I'm the most guilty at times of chasing, chasing the wrong things. And I have to remind myself, yo, a chord and a guitar, and the truth can go a long way. You know, it's it's so it's so interesting to talk about this because as a bass player, of course, you know, traditionally, we aren't necessarily as reliant on amps and pedals and things like that as as most guitar players are, and as I started to get into pedals and effects and things like that coming up as a player, it was it was this weird balancing act because I would I would have this awesome affinity for this particular pedal or, or something that that did something to my sound that I wanted it to be on all the time. Right. But then I, I would go on, you know, maybe I'd be at a jam session or something. And it's like, like you said, you just have a cable in your, in your bass or your guitar, and you're just plugging in, you got to kind of represent yourself and, you know, hopefully communicate something musically uh, meaningful, you know, while you're doing that. And I always went, I went back and forth so much between, okay, I want to, I want to use these tools to craft my tone, but at the same time, I don't want to be dependent on them. And it's really hard right. to kind of find a, it, it's hard to find sort of like a, a central ground in, in between. I can't imagine for a guitar player because, I mean, so many of you, you know, the amp choice or, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, it's, it's such yeah, a yeah, big yeah. part of things. Like, yeah, you couldn't put, you know, you couldn't put Eddie Van Halen into Brent Mason's amp and Brent Mason's into Eddie's amp and expect the same results. But what will happen because both of them are, you know, who they are is it will shock their systems mm -hmm. into 
into manipulating the instrument to working in a different way. And you can look at it through Ed's catalog and all the different things he did, playing Spanish fly on a gut string or using a cleaner tone for cathedral and the, the volume swells. And you can look at Brent and all the myriad of things he's ever done. And you used, you, you kind of glazed over something that was really important. You were like, when I'm at a jam. Yeah, I love those moments because those are inopportune. I, I think it's often for a lot of times guys will be at a bar, at a club gig. Maybe their friends are playing and your friends will see, hey, come up and play something. Come play Little Wing or Crossroads or whatever, you know, in, industry standard fare yep. of tune. And you'll be up there and you'll, somebody will hand you something that's not yours and not your pedals. And, and I usually just look at them and say, which one's clean, which one's dirty? Okay, those are the two colors that I can use. You know, and usually it's just one button that will that will do clean or dirty, and I don't touch anything else. And it shocks the system into uh, focusing on, hey, man, all of these other licks and tricks and things that might work under a lot of compression or gain, they're not going to work, so you have to change that, uh, especially like you know with guitarists gosh you know a guy's rig on broadway might have a tube screamer you know versus a guy's rig in la which is probably going to be an amp with a lot of gain on it mm -hmm. you know what i mean just like the difference in approach or even like you know guys that ride the balance in between like a like a josh smith or a timmons that, that have you know myriad of different tones and fuzzes so yeah when you're asked to be driving somebody else's car i love that feeling and it's awful <laughs> it's yes, an yeah. awful thing because you're you know but it's very important and i think that's a reason it ties into one of the questions i get a lot about gear which is which guitar is your favorite what amps the best what do i need to do and it's like if you look behind me this thing does a clean thing that thing does it this thing does a distortion thing all of these are different there's a hollow body that's right out of shot and they all have different i never set things up to behave the same way like i use thicker strings on my more jazzier bluesier type of guitars i use uh hybrid sets on things i'm doing so it's like i i intentionally make the guitars feel different so i won't go for the things you know if i'm playing like a shred machine like that red guitar i'm going to go for the things that are like the bubbly you know licks wide intervallic stuff but when i play that like 335 thing i, I want to try to pretend i'm an adult you know what i mean <laughs> Don't go past the fifteenth fret. There's yeah. nothing for you. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh! I can... The intention of like having the guitar tell you what to do. It's actually it's actually quite rewarding. Yeah. In my yeah. opinion, you yeah. know, and I, yeah. I love playing other guys' guitars because it's like, how do I sound like me when I'm not on my stuff? You know yeah, what I mean? So, oh gosh, I so relate to this because, um, it, and one of the nuances of kind of what what you're getting at here is like you know the setup of an instrument right and we won't go too heavily in depth on that right. today, probably but is it high gauge is it low gauge is it yeah, is it yeah. so like my i've got a bunch of uh old fender basses and p basses and jazz basses and let me tell you what p bass i i love it it yeah. might be my favorite bass on the planet yeah. well they've, they've like a muscle car <laughs> They've been so celebrated throughout the decades. They had a massive resurgence wow. years ago, also in terms of collectability. And and it, right. in Nashville, especially, I can I can tell you firsthand there was a there was a time. I've been here 17 years now, and there was a time I can remember years ago where there almost seemed to be a, a just a sudden gravitation towards P bases on on sessions and they're great for a million reasons but yeah, yeah, they are. And when you're when you're mixing I'm sorry to interrupt but like oh, when cool. I just never feel like I have to do much yeah. to a P base yeah it like yeah. just sounds like it does and just kind of turn it up and it's there you yeah know? this weird anomaly because when you listen to them just by themselves they kind of sound like crap it's not really <laughs> you know, like it sounds like a you cheap know? bass yeah it's not really the thing yeah, when you hear it in context in with a great band or a mix. mix and big thick guitars, it's like yeah, nothing bass. is better. Nothing is it's better. Rules. Yeah, but again, to your point, it's like my my old Fenders and um, my new my newer Fenders that are still Fenders that emulate the old yeah. Fenders. Those setups are very different. They they require a little bit more muscle, and I do that intentionally because there's a, there's a different type of tone that's traditionally associated with it, and there's there's a certain attitude that it evokes from you when you're having to muscle something a little more. That's Whereas right. my signature Ibanez basses are set up, they basically you blow on them and they play themselves. You know, like you it's anything, yeah, yeah. But but to the idea of 
trying to play what exactly what you said, like things that I might be able to pull off on my main um, signature bases, I can't do yeah. not well anyways. I cannot do well on my workhorse instruments or recording instruments. It's the tools are so important and and I love what you're saying about how it influences how you play because that is so true. You want the tool to to be in a synergy with you you know yeah you want you want it to pull you in a direction so hopefully you're kind of carving the right thing you know and a lot of times like people get that mistaken with emulation and it's really not emulation so much as it is inspiration Mm, um as a kid i really hated really gnarly fuzzes it's kind of like the p bass thing like i say look when i first got into uh electric guitar um it was like Steve Morse, Eric Johnson, those kind of things. Uh, there was that familiarity because some of their stuff sounds fiddle tune-ish, you know, like with the dregs. And even Cliffs of Dover, there's like that fiddle tune-esque kind of yeah, vibe. Yeah, yeah. So that was a great gateway drug for me into like rock, you know. And uh, those bass players were like these superhuman bass players. You know, yeah, guys like Dave LaRue or whatever. And they're, they're playing like the super hot, the super oh, hot oh, licks. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's specific dregs moments where it's just like, just like all over the place, right? A, and, a, uh, and, and, and High Tension Wires was a really important record to me. I had yes, some really yes. hot Dave playing on it. And it was later in life. And I did, I, so I was obsessed with that and I wanted that really polished. I was looking for that slick lead tone, you know, and it was all about that. Later in life, I come all the way back around and I'm just like listening to You Could Be Mine by Guns N' Roses. And that bass tone comes in on the front. Mm-hmm. And it's now, as a kid, I was just like, oh man, it's kind of rat, it's kind of like gnarly. And like, as a kid, I was like, it's not slick. And like, now I'm just like, everything that I didn't like, it's like is everything that I like, that's so you know, and the fuzz thing is the same way. Like fuzz pedals as a kid, I was like, oh, who would ever want this? It doesn't sound cool. I don't like it. And now I can't get enough of guys like Gary Clark Jr., uh-huh. who just like big, awful in a cool way sounding <laughs> tones. And it's just like, man, they just there's such a vibe there. And I think it comes from, uh, you know, our musical consumptions being a lot like our diet. And if you eat pizza every day of the week. <laughs> For five years, you can get sick of pizza. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? And you go back and you're like, oh, I still love pizza, but I just don't want it as often as I was eating it. Yeah, you know, and yeah. now it's like, dude, I, you know, guys like guys I really love these days are like, like Joey Landreth and like Ariel Poson and some of these slide players that are kind of doing this kind of thing with like the the, the slide is tuned down to like baritone levels oh, or wow. it's like low B. Like these guys will tune to open B and then play slide and then use fuzzes and stuff on the lead tones and they can emulate all these really cool like Hammond organ things and wow. the, the, it sounds cool in a trio and like again like i used to love the big huge drum kits like the rod and portnoy kind of kits and now it's like i love to watch a guy play like uh like a hat floor tom kick you know like no like the nothing yeah because yeah. it makes it may just makes for a different thing you know and you appreciate the differences oh, and the, nuances of the differences it's like you know you're, you're coming up as a player and so you 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 gravitating towards you know certain bands and they maybe they all have like this the super click bass drum sound yeah. you know or or maybe it's the super polished guitar tone or or this or that the other thing and so that that like you said that becomes your your their consumption of those things and then you know you you hear something that's more open sounding or more organic you're like oh that sounds bad or that doesn't sound good and then later on like as you're growing as a player as a person you know as an individual it's like you you have this you you start to have this appreciation and then that's now this desire to hear more of that that's it's right. like an acquired taste like beer you know yeah, yeah. like it's you, you first taste it when you're young or you know oh, that's gross dad uh. and then later on you're like this connoisseur of all the different flavors and you're appreciating you know all of the different things and i'm not a beer expert but i know there are people out there that really get into the nuance yeah. of different you know styles of things and tastes. and it swings every different way so for me coming up on the southern side of the tracks with a lot of bluegrass and tony rice jerry douglas bale fleck like that's stuff that i really grew up on and i'm 
bringing and i got to rock later so it's like i'm smearing the paint in that direction a lot of rock guys will hit me up and be like man i've never heard of jerry douglas till i you know i heard you mention him in an interview or whatever and i went and got it and these guys grew up with metallica and dream theater and you know things like that and and they're like oh man i'm really loving and it goes the other direction you know where they're like for me you know i guess what i'm saying is like it doesn't really matter where you came from because you have your your loves and your first sparks of, of musical interest and then later you end up having all these appreciations for all these different things like man i would if you flip through my musical catalog it's funny because it'll go from you know kill switch engage to Pavarotti to you know <laughs> jason isbell and some of those dave cobb records like these days man i really i like what dave cobb's doing i like those stapleton records and and it's so fresh and it feels it feels nice to have that you know in an era of nashville's top 40 being very slick yeah. it's nice to know that there's a guy in town making some stuff that's and not that it's not slick like dude those cob records it's just different like the way they've made the art is different and i think at the end of the day no matter what you like at some point you're gonna want to have something else you know what yeah. i mean you know, no is there anything what. genre wise or um you can even get more specific than that but uh you know like you i've got super diverse musical yeah. tastes and when i um my wife and i got back into vinyl years ago and it became kind of like a hobby that we could share together and we love sitting and listening to records and that Dang, was i just got back into it oh sweet man we got to talk about that offline for sure um my collection's out of control now but but it's so interesting how for us for my wife and I, it was like the vinyl thing. I'd been playing music, you know, all my life, and I'd been making a living uh, right. playing playing music. And you, I, you could probably relate to this. Like, you get to a point where, like, you're playing music all the time. You never ever find yourself just sitting down and listening to music for enjoyment and so we realized that one day and we were you're we like you know let's let's turn uh, in our last house let's turn this room into a listening room and so my wife decorated it up and i bought some bought some nice I, for the first time in in so many years i've invested in some nice speakers and and hi-fi stuff and it became a listening room and that's what started this vinyl thing i was i, I was curious to see what we were going to be gravitating towards in terms of what we wanted to buy in vinyl. And it's so crazy. Like we, we just bought tons and tons of classic rock, you know, it was like Doobie Brothers and Eagles in Boston yeah. and stuff like there was a nostalgia to it. And that's what we found ourselves listening to for enjoyment, even though we, we both listen to all different kinds of music. Is there a place where you land? It's kind of like your, this Dude. is my common denominator, you know, stuff. So you're naming you're, you're you're basically talking about one of the things that uh, recently I was just out at the surf factory and John is big and he's just gotten into these big home stereos things right and uh, recently uh, I got a, we got a record player at my house kind of same thing right you mentioned a couple of things one of the things that happens to me is if I spend a big day working and I'm making either videos or I'm maybe playing on a record for somebody. No matter what it is, if I'm just in that focused headspace of trying to play and not suck, right? If I'm trying just to not suck for eight hours, <laughs> the last thing I want to do is go sit in a car and listen to music. Like, I just need to, like, cleanse the palate. That's where yeah, a lot yeah. of my video game addiction comes from because I'm still hearing stuff, but it's not... I'm not a guitar player. I'm not a musician. I'm not going. Oh, it's you know, uh, it's G with a uh, you know F sharp in the bottom. He's like, I'm not doing any of that thing, right? So for me, when I I listen to this landing pad that you're talking about, like where is it that you land? It shifts a little bit, but it tends to be things that are just rooted in great flipping songs. Mm -hmm. A great song to me. To, in today's like in my career where it's like i'm very lucky to know guys like you and and travis and these freak show musicians you're surrounded by you know, it's like i always call them the one percenters it's like i i know the one percenters and like t texting them so when i go back and listen to music a lot of times if i'm in that headspace i'm like oh well my buddy's a better player than you know whatever's being delivered when you think about that like is this in tune or like whatever 
but the reality is is where i land is great songs mm -hmm. song crafting and and i te in in my patreons and stuff i teach that often it's like man when's the last time that you sat down to learn a song and you didn't just learn the guitar parts like i just had a student the other day and he's like how do you get so melodic man i feel like when you play it's different than other players that's what he kept saying he's like I just, it's not he's like you got chops but when you don't use them it's it just it just sounds different what do you do and i was like man what's your favorite stuff and he's like man i like you know this 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 i like journey i was like okay let's listen to lights i said play what the singer's singing yeah and it's not it's got this blend and bend and you have to manipulate yeah. to emulate the vocal ability right and i was telling him about the power of the song and i had another student that was wanting to learn intervals and i said dude one of my favorite songs of all time kenny Loggins, or not kenny Loggins, uh uh it was Bob Seger, uh, Night Moves, one of my favorite songs of all time. And he was trying to learn. He's like, one, three, five. You know, he's like, well, I'm looking for the melody and I can't ever find it. I was like, first, first sing uh, the vocal line of Night Moves. What's he singing? He was trying to find it. It's not third, not the fifth. I was like, it's interesting because he starts singing on the sixth ah. over the G. You know, little too tall could have used a few pounds as the line. Yeah. And he's singing E over the the g and i was like that's what makes it interesting that's like this pull and i was like if you're only learning night moves going g g g g g g g f f f c if you're only being that guy you're not appreciating what it what really makes the song crafted well point yeah yeah, like the, the, it's the it's the it's the culmination of it, right? Mm -hmm. So, like you, when it's time for me to decompress, you know what's been a heavy rotation for me? Elton John. Oh yeah, I've I listened to Benny and the Jets. I listened to Benny and the Jets six times this week. <laughs> I love it, and like Yellow yeah. Brick Road, I've been listening to, uh, the, you know, the Cars, uh, Hall and Oates. Uh, a lot of yacht rock. Dude, you're you're calling off my my collection right now. Every one of these. So, so and then the other side of it is anything from the '90s grunge alt scene. I was in high school, so the moment I hear a Weezer record or Alice in Chains, yeah. like dude, I can put on Foo Fighters any day of the week. Yeah. Like Chris Schifflet, you know Dave Grohl. If you're watching this. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's the stuff i listen to for fun and you know ironic is most of the stuff that i listen to for fun doesn't have heroics yeah 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 i get it heroics it's just got great melodies and then when i sit to play the acoustic guitar in my living room i've got a really uh it's not a it, it's not a crappy guitar but it's an economy line prs sent me one of their uh, uh like uh triple zero it's a real small acoustic like the clapton looking thing cool and it's like a economy line guitar. And I was like, cool, I'll check it out. It sits in my living room. I play that thing all the time. And when I do, I just pick it up and I start trying to play like melody lines to pop tunes, put some chords around it and like just see if my, you know, whoever's hanging out with me in the house can like guess the tune. And like the other one I was playing the other day was uh, Smashing Pumpkins. It was it 1970? I can't remember the year of the, the name of the song, but it's the uh, it's off that uh, melancholy infinite sadness record. Cool. If you remember, that it was a great record. But I love that stuff, man. And and I listen to the Allison Chains unplugged record all the time. Yeah. That's one of my favorite records ever. Yeah, that's a yeah. great one. Yeah, that's a and then nineties country. Like I listen to an absolute boatload of Brooks and Dunn. Yeah, yeah, Brooks and Dunn, Alan Jackson. This, the, the hot Brent years, like, uh, you know, Jimmy Olander, Diamond Rio, like, you give me that stuff, man. Like, even on the road, it was fun. We would, we would uh, you know, have little bus, bus games and stuff related around how many times, you know, there might be a vocal turn that, that Ronnie Dunn likes to use in songs. And it's, you know, I, I love that stuff, though. That's yeah, awesome, man. Let's, Got off topic. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. This is a perfect place. I, I want to shift gears for a second because – you know, you've you've become an incredible. I use this word. Um, listeners will will have recognized this already. I consider you a stylist. Uh, in that, you're one of those players. You're one of those special players. When when you play, it sounds like you, and that's you know th that's no small feat. You know, a lot of a lot of players work their whole lives to try to to achieve a sound that is uniquely their own, but. 
I want to kind of transition into, you know, you've had also, um, in addition to your sort of solo artist career and identity building over the years, you've had a successful sideman career as well. And and the two of us, we, we've kind of had similar past in that we've we've tried to sort of balance those things a, a little bit. And you've played, I've mentioned at the very beginning, you played with some incredible celebrated artists. Was the sideman thing, was that always one of your uh, dreams or objectives, or was that something that you kind of fell into and it was like, oh, I can pay the bills this way? How how close was that to your heart and where does it fit now into the definition of who you are today? Oh, it's a huge part of my playing. I mean, all of my favorite players were not the glory players growing up. And by glory, I mean, they're, they're we glorify them. Like if I say Dan Huff to another guitar player, they're like, yeah, dude, he rips. But like if you say Dan Huff to the sorority girl at the University of Tennessee, she's like, I don't know what that is. Right. right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, and same with, you know, all the guys that we, we love. Like, I, you know, Steve Lukather is a megastar to me and other musicians and guitar players. But if you go to you know the the local you know hang that has nothing to do like maybe a car meet like cars and coffee those guys aren't gonna know but you say oh he's the guitarist from toto they'll be like oh toto cool i love toto rosanna you know so like all my guys weren't you know coming up they weren't like name brands Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like not to say that i didn't love clapton's and you know jimmy pages and slashes like i love those guys keith richards like obviously that goes without saying that's almost like saying water is wet like yes of course not like that right, you know right, right. it goes without saying but all of my guys were sell were not those kinds of names so when i was coming up i was really into the idea of like oh man maybe if i could just that'd be so cool to play and be one of those guys i'd feel like i was in the in the club you know so like being a sideman session player whatever you want to call it hired gun you know that was always a goal for me and 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 it's demanding like it is it is uh jim riley says it best he's like man the air can get pretty thin up there mm. you're not playing really complicated like you're not playing metal fatigue holdsworth stuff right like that's a different kind of air is thin <laughs> you yeah know? yeah but when you go to kick off one of those iconic parts on acoustic guitar and it's just you in front of 30,000 people and the lead singer, you know, yeah, it's a different kind of stress. Yeah. Because everybody hangs on every nuance. Right. You know, on top of that, you're dealing with things that are introduced into an equation, things like time code and production and sets moving around you. So you can't take your time and be leisure about tuning the guitar like the stresses are different you really have to have faith that whoever handed you that instrument put the capo in the right place because you've got seconds to put it on yeah and and hear the click and kick off the song so yeah the 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 challenges yeah you know there's a lot of armchair quarterbacks as we all are like i do the same thing watching football i'm like oh man that guy be <laughs> totally should have spun out of that you know <laughs> same thing happens with musicians i see guys bash you know whoever yeah. online like get on twitter and go watch bonamassa's feed eventually somebody will be like oh man you're overrated blues guys like man shut up dude i you, know you they're, they're, they're out there in droves unfortunately you don't know no what you're talking about and, and the reality is is like especially with like stuff that's um you know not super complicated i worked with the low cash guys um for a year we did did a ton of dates i mean i think we did almost 200 dates it was mm-hmm. a ton and uh, their music is not what anyone that's a musician would call complicated but it was a very it was a very set thing you know there was challenges that didn't have to do with like oh man playing over you know coltrane matrix for you know it's not that it's not that kind of thing you know and so those challenges can be very scoffed at a lot of times like oh man he's just you know playing whatever one six four five on along how hard can it be it's like yeah it's not hard if you're just doing that but while moving here and being handed this while this thing's moving in the it's like there's some different changes so i respect the game as 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 they say respect the game about like how hard it can be to play something simple you know for for 90 minute set and and i think one of the things that was always important to me was uh you know carving my own path while doing things that i considered checklist items like i really wanted to play 
mean, I grew up watching the CMAs. I want to play CMA Fest. Like, you know, it's like, that's not going to happen with me being a singer, you know? Yeah. I wanted to play the Opry. That was a checklist thing. Yeah. You know? Do you think that, um, do you think that there can truly be a balance between the checklist items and the self-fulfillment or, or yeah, what you feel called absolutely. to do? Like, do you really, do you, or do you feel like they're constantly sort of at war with one another? I think, I think anything, I think it's a matter of perspective. Like when you look at things being a battle between each other, I think it's a ebb and flow, just like your musical diet might change. Some, some, points in your life you're going to be chasing technique more than you're going to be chasing harmony other points in your life you're going to be chasing time feel more than you're going to and that all of those things pushing and pulling and creating different skill sets that's what carves your own sound i always look at like us musicians as like the back of those superhero cards i had as a kid and there would be different stats yeah <laughs> i love it harmony bars you know maxed out he didn't have as much technique but man his time feel is you know it's like the, that that kind of thing is the at war thing and when you say, you know, is it possible to have those fulfillment moments and those and also, you know, I think you look at guys like Jeff Beck, Joe Bonamassa, like like those are guys that truly get to indulge both sides. Yeah. Jeff Beck being a big one. Yeah. He is an anomaly. You know, yeah, what I mean? he's in he's in rarefied air for sure. And it's not, you know, even the celebrated virtuosos out there don't necessarily get to live the crossover-ish dream life yeah, I mean, that he does dude yeah are you kidding me like you tell I me mean, like you tell me that like slash would like to go on stage for once and not play sweet child of mine <laughs> you know what i mean but like that's not the cards that are dealt for him yeah and 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 i love the fact that he has embraced things that weren't intentional like i don't think he ever intended for the top hat to become the top hat right that we all are just it's like almost like we take for granted yeah that's true it's like and you, you gotta think at some point in his life he didn't wear a top hat you know what i mean yeah. and it haphazardly happened yeah and then it became a thing so it's like i love that slash has embraced that yeah um i also think that ed van halen was an anomaly because he got to live everything he wanted to do like he like when a, when singers leave bands it's usually the end of the career yeah but ed's like no that's not what van halen is van halen is the music yeah yeah and, and how how blessed of an existence to be like yeah man we had this amazing career in the early 80s with this party music and then we had this amazing career in the 90s when everybody who played with technical facility was shunned yeah van halen didn't get shunned that's true like when balance was out like pearl jam and stuff were out yeah, you know what i mean so it's like they never yeah they never got blacklisted because he was always I, I i don't know if i'm being too much of a fanboy it's obvious i mean i got his picture on the wall but it's like it, he was always true to the music yeah and like when people were saying don't use synthesizers you know your guitar player like he was just like man this is the way the song goes yeah so he really got to live that like superhero glorified rock star thing but it was also like listen to you know some of those later records they've got really interesting things that aren't what are expected and i think you just want to make different stuff you yeah. know yeah i think that's that i think there are a few but like you said that is a round table of the elite that even most of our heroes don't get they don't get to do that right you know? right that's so true I, and it doesn't just for, doesn't just apply to guitar players i think John Paul Jones is a great example of uh, a guy. There's who, he's in my he's in my top five list of whatever. I love John. And he, and he goes to Bonnaroo and plays mandolin with the McCurries or whatever. It's like he gets to live beyond yeah levy breaks or whatever or, or or no quarter. You know, trying to think of like iconic JPJ things, but it's like he gets to live beyond Led Zeppelin. Yeah, Robert Plant gets to live beyond Led Zeppelin. I think that is a a very small group of people yeah but it does get to happen and i think you can do it man i think uh you know andy timmons is a, is a great example of a guy who came up in the shred scene with with the the hair bands and all that stuff and yeah. and he would blush but i'd i'd say this i think anybody would agree with it. he's playing better now in his life than he's ever played in his life he's, and most guys kind of like kind of level off a little bit like at is just like playing the most musical beautiful sounding stuff now 
then he like how how do you keep getting better like most people don't get to keep getting better (laughs) he's he's a beast one of the things that that i really struggled with on on the road and and um i don't know if you if you relate to this everybody's wired a little bit differently but in kind of just going back to that sort of living sort of that that duality of you know side man you know identity solo artist type of thing and you go out on tour and if you're if you've you know got some time with an artist you know for a while you've got some invested time and then it's like you snap your fingers and all of a sudden two years of your life is gone you're going what i didn't really do anything uh to support my you know my my solo stuff and i i'll never forget there was i i reached a crossroads in 2009 i'd been touring with a pretty well-known artist for for four or four and a half years at that point and i just i just woke up one day and i was like you know i i don't really want to leave this but i need to if i'm going to try to build you know continue building my house if you will and um it was really sobering because when I when I left, it was like the bottom fell out. I had almost no income. It was, you know, like DEFCON 5 for a minute, you know, but you know, I, we, we made do. But did you ever feel like that? You know, you're out on the road. It's like time just zaps and you're like going, you oh, yeah, I'm going to bring my interface on the road. And I'm going to be, you know, I had these, I, these grandiose ideas. I'm going to write every day and I'm just going to go into the dressing room or on the bus and I'm in the back and I'm going to I'm going to work on stuff. And then you're out on the road. And you're just freaking exhausted from the routine of living out of a suitcase. And then you, yeah. you get back home. You're like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, that. That, that to me is just like that's on a deeper i guess borderline bumper sticker t-shirt level that's like your soul reaching out like you you want you want something and you don't know what it is yeah something that happened to me um i had a great amicable career with low cash and i told him i was like guys i gotta i gotta come off the road and they're like dude just tell us what it takes to keep you out here we love you and i was like i love you guys i was like I gotta, I gotta go do something else, and I don't know what that answer is. Hmm. Um, while when I came off the road, I did, uh, you know, that was when I made Junk Town, and I, that was like one of those things where I was like, dude, I want to make a record where I don't feel like I'm segregating my stuff on my previous outings. Um, which, for those that don't know, the way me and Adam first met, I was such a fan. I was a little kid, I was in my twenties, and I said, "Hey, bro, I really love your playing." Like, we play bass on my record <laughs> and like uh so those first couple of records it was like i was segregating my sounds like here's the country thing okay in a song and then okay here's the rock thing in a song and here's this other thing and i wanted to make a mission statement that was like what happens if they're all if the song itself is the country rock shred fusion thing like what if each song has all of those elements in it and that's where I really like what I was looking for was not to make a record. That's where I'm going to be cheesy. I'm going to say that. I was like, I wasn't really looking to make a record. I was looking to find my sound. Mm. And the record was what helped happen. You know, that was a byproduct of me looking for a way to like blend. And, and the riff to Junktown was written from low cash sound checks because for oh, those wow. that- so those that don't know on sound checks when you're a guitar player your front of house guy wants like your medium overdrive not your lowest low not your highest high who wants your medium vanilla crunch sound and i would just play this one riff and it didn't have a back end like if you've heard the song you know that it like turns every time it cycles and i just would play that and finally one guy one guy's like when you go finish that song and i didn't it was thing it was like maybe the lighting guy or something and i was like i didn't even realize that was a thing but it was like it was like my subconscious Mm. talking to me you know what i mean and i think that's really important it's one of the biggest things i've learned from being around my heroes is like you have to be open to the reception like you can't be driving your your life like there is an amount of that but there's also like you have to be a receiver absolutely yes receptive to the idea that like yeah man you know you may be looking for something but you you're trying to categorize it because we as people like to put things in boxes but like i wasn't looking to make junk town i was looking to find my sound that's why going back to that that's really the truth you know um, to everybody listening out there you need to as soon as you finish this podcast you need to jump out there and grab it because it's it's a it's a masterpiece man i mean that it's it's so great and i gotta also say um 
when you first asked me to play on your stuff and, and I heard it, I was, I was so blown away and, and I, it's still, it's, it's an honor to have appeared on, on some of your stuff. So thank you so much. I just want to, you know, say publicly how much oh, I just appreciate I, 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 it. There was, when you talk about this checklist, there was, I was like, I had my like list of guys and, and, and you were on that list and Stu Ham was on that list. And I was like, man, if I like those guys are just the cats, man, if I could give them oh, the, man. you know, I, I had another one of those moments recently. Um, John Petrucci had asked me to come be part of his guitar universe. Thing, Amazing. Yeah. Woodshed, like what we do at the camp. Cool. Cool. And, uh, we're on stage and it was me and John and Tosin Abasi from animals. Oh, yeah. Mateus Asado and Jason Richardson. That was the lineup. Kiko Lurera from Megadeth. And uh, his rhythm section uh, was uh, Mangini on drums. Oh, boy. And uh, LaRue on bass. Oh, yes. We're jamming. I mean, obviously, like, John knew that I was a big Dregs fan because John even, you know, he's a big Steve Morris fan. He's like, I hear so much of Steve and what you do. Yeah. I was like, I, you know, wear that influence on my sleeve or whatever. And, uh, John, we were on stage working on a jam or something or like warming up or maybe I was playing one of my tunes and Dave's kind of at side stage. He's like, nod, and I'd not met Dave LaRue. Yeah, keep in mind, like, this is like one of my cats, you know, one yeah, of my dudes. And so, like, I've just finished up and he was kind of looking at me and I played just like four bars of the unison section of Too Many Notes. And he looked at me <laughs> I was like, I was like, I know where I came from, dude. That's like, oh. Was my way of just being like saying thank you without having to say a word to him. Yeah. I was just, also, you. I'm sure for Dave it was like instantly legit guitarist. You know, he's uh, like this so guy's a monster. We had, it was great to meet him and talk to him and kind wow. of become friends or whatever. And and yeah. Dave is so great. He was. Uh, You're so but, right about the touring thing. You really are. Like you have to. Um, it, it is a really great blessing when you get those opportunities. But you also have to keep in your mind, your job is to help someone create their sound. Mm -hmm. That immediately makes you not working on your sound. Yeah. And you have to just be aware of that at all times. Yeah, that's And that helps you maintain sanity. Because, you know, a lot of times riffs can happen in working environments like that when people are wanting to flex what they do. And that may not be the right thing to do. Yeah. What's your record? What are your recommendations or, or tips? You know, there's I get a lot of questions from people about um, sideman stuff. And, and one of the question I get asked a lot is like, hey, when you got this gig, did you kind of just go in there and doing your own thing? And, and or did you try to copy what was on the record or whatever? And and um, I'm going to reserve my answer because I want to ask you about that in terms of what's what's your what, what's your approach? Well, they've all been different. That's the one thing that I think people, again, with us being humans, we like to categorize things. Like I've never had the same gig come at me in the same way. Mm. Uh, for example, the Scott Stapp gig was a long run. It was right when Creed and Stapp split. And it was like Alter Bridge. And then Scott did the Howard Benson record, the Proof of Life record. I was a uh, guitarist and the MD on that gig. And that was a really tall order because, you know, Tremonti is, you know, arguably one of the most influential guitar players. I'd say inarguably. He's one of the most influential guitar players the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so it was a fine line of doing his parts with respect, but also not trying to be Kroger brand Mark Tremonti. Uh, yeah. Like the last thing I didn't want to do is go in with a Paul Reed Smith and a Mesa Boogie and... <laughs> trying making my hair look like not dying my hair black like no way like i'm not mark you know what i mean that's one thing you have to remember you're not that guy but do his parts with respect Mm -hmm. like that's the thing it's not like if there's a part that was blowing and i could just tell mark was blowing yeah man i'm gonna blow like i'll do my thing there but like when it's uh you know arms wide open or like can you take me higher like i'm playing that lick every single time yeah because that's what that's the fan service like boba fett just came out on like i want fan service i know when people come to see other artists they want fan service and it's respecting the fan as much as you respect yourself for the artist you're working for that gig was came about because i was um a ringer for a benefit gig for the there was deftones bass player for the deftones was in bad car wreck or something and and they had a big benefit out in la during nam and the event was cycling around having all these guys from these different bands. Like uh, it was one of the guys from Corn. I can't remember if it was 
Brian or, or the other. Yeah, I can't remember. But it was like one of the guys from Corn, And then there was some guys from Seven Dust. There was a guy from P.O.D. There was like bands from all over. Guys from Breaking Benjamin. And in the night when they wasn't they were doing these super groups and everybody would do a different song or two and they needed a ringer guitar player to jump in whenever the celebrities weren't a mm. guitar player like trey would be there from bod and he'd be playing bass with the drummer from breaking benjamin and they didn't have a celebrity guitar player so i would be the ringer throughout the night and that's how i met the drummer for breaking benjamin who became the drummer for scott staff that's how i got the, the you know the the call or whatever and that was a cold they got online and watched me play and they're like this is the guy like they didn't even wasn't even really an audition. Just went that awesome. down to rehearsals. Um, Low Cash was very similar. Like because I'd done the flats gig, there was no audition. They were like, "Dude, we need a guitar player. We need him now." Play this one. I think the one audition was, "Can you play this solo?" Send us a video of you playing this one solo, and it was a song they wrote for Keith Urban. Oh wow! And Keith's a great player, so I, you know, it's like somebody's. You got to be able to play the Keith Urban because they're going to play it every night, right? So yeah. that was the, that was their watermark, and I think that's maybe a important piece of advice for anyone out there there's going to be a watermark song that in any respectable uh artist you're going to be playing every night i've used higher i mean like you go play rascal flats or you're playing with gary you're playing you know <laughs> broken road you're playing what hurts the most like that's life is a highway is happening that night there's no doubt that it's happening so it's like it's knowing what those songs would be um and then the next bit of advice is like i mean my rascal flats audition was completely different it it, it there was a lot of guys you know there and when i say a lot there was like 15 so i mean that that seems like a lot um and they were auditioning all different positions and all different things at the same time you know and then it ended up being me and yankton they got the calls they eliminated three positions and hired two. Oh wow so that's so that was the thing they were trying to figure out who can double dip instruments yeah you know, so very cool uh, and that's another thing and, and here's the other thing there's been gigs that i didn't get you know um when i was coming up i did not get the randy hauser gig so randy if you're watching this <laughs> but the reality is i saw the guy hired and i'm like yeah i don't look anything like that my vibe is completely different the guy was like a big burly guy with a flannel shirt played an old beat up telly through an old beat up fender it's like yeah man that's not what i do so it's also knowing that like if you don't get a gig it's probably for the best. I mean, when Michael Jackson was hiring a female guitarist, guess what? All males are out. Right. It's just making peace with that. And certain guys want a certain look for their band. Yeah. And it's also making the point too. It's not necessarily like a personal thing or like you're not good enough. It There are, but man, I took, it took me forever to, to get to the acceptance point of that because, you know, I, there's been it gigs. I didn't get to not get a gig. It, it sucks. Stopped. It totally sucks. But, um, but yeah, they're really, it's hard to see the big picture, the overlying picture when you are going in as said guitar auditioner, bass auditioner. And, and, um, it doesn't mean that, that you're not good or, or, you know, this is a, this is a business that it's not, it's not reciprocal in, in terms of efforts, you know, and what you're going to get back and rewards. It's not necessarily that way. So yeah, it's just part of the game. And it sucks to not get a gig. It sucks, you know, to uh, lose a gig. I, I, I had a gig for a while uh, with a, a big artist, and uh, he was a country artist. And so I was trying to do this, the parts like the record. Ironically, he called me after six weeks and was like, I, you know, I'm going to give you a little severance pay. We're going to have to let you go. He's like, you're just not rock and roll enough. And I just kind of hung up the phone and laughed. Wow. Ass off. <laughs> I was wow. like. I was like, man, I was doing. I hung out and I was like, well, I was doing all your stuff with respect, and uh, if you wanted me to shred, <laughs> then you should have just asked for it, you know, because wow. I could have easily kicked it up a gear if you wanted it. And so it was a funny, one of the funny ones, and you have to laugh about it. And that came about in that time where I was really trying to double down on myself and expand my own brand and 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 find my voice. Like your brand and your voice often go hand in hand. Sure. You know, you miss that, but that was a blessing, you know, that was a blessing. And, uh, you know, and I have to throw mad love to all three flats guys, man, Gary, Jay, Joe Don, those guys are great. Uh, when they, when they shifted after we had done a couple of, uh, a couple of runs, um, they were like, you know, we're not firing you. 
we're just not hiring anybody to replace you. We're going to downsize again. And that's where they did that back to us tour. And uh, it was just, the band kept getting smaller. Yeah. And uh, they said, you know, when, when it comes back around, we'll call you. And I was like, oh, sure. I was like, oh, thanks, guys, whatever. And they were super good to me. I was like, I'm never going to hear from them again. Hey, lo and behold, they all kept calling me for different work. Like I played on a movie thing for Jay. I still work with Gary often. Uh, I mean, worked with him. You know, it's been weird with COVID, but we've been playing and, and he's got a really cool solo thing going, but yeah, those guys are, are great to work for. And you have to always remember that just because you may be not on the next couple of tours, it cannot mean that you're out forever. It could mean, again, it's hard because we want to take things personally and it's hard to just remember it's like man that's not what their message is this tour right right or or right like look at bruno mars like he's got you know a a a fabulous band like one of the best bands in in music and i think all those guys are african-american guys that dance their asses off Mm -hmm. and i know if i did if i went in that audition and get didn't get the gig it's probably because i don't dance my ass off you know it's like there's probably something there that is not that's not the same as like oh you can't play right and that that's what hurts when you put 20 30 plus years into your craft and you don't get a gig you immediately equate it to a failure of your ability yeah yeah it's so different from something like something like sports where um i know there's exceptions but sports is 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 a little bit more black and white it's like if you're awesome at football that's a pretty universally recognizable thing and like people are going to want you on the team if you provide these amazing stats you know it's it's not about how well you 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 dance or if your look your hair doesn't you know like it's 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 just more black and white yeah. Football and sports are not arts. They're quantifiable, exactly. statistic-based competitions. Exactly. And we always have to remember that even though we're trying to sell tickets or get streams or whatever, it's like quantif- quantification doesn't always equate greatness. Yeah. And a lot of times people die before they're celebrated. That's right. Unfortunately. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's art. Yeah. And, I want to um in the business that's the that's the reality is like yeah man they they this artist and you have to you have to prepare yourself mentally when you're going in for higher gun again it's not your statement. Yeah. So you may not be the fit for their statement. Yep. I want to get into um I want to transition to to your brand and specifically I, I would love for you to talk about um your woodshed camp and also your your patreon efforts and and you are you know this already but um andy is the reason that i recently started a a patreon campaign basically moved all my educational stuff over there because i was so inspired by what andy was was doing on his page i just watched his success grow and grow and you've done an amazing job with that but can you talk about the, um, can you talk about your efforts there and how that links with Woodshed Camp? Because that's another thing people got to know about. Man, yeah. So first of all, thanks. Uh, I, I kind of haphazardly did it. You know, I, I'm a big fan of of Walt Disney and and his core message of like make something that is a place to go, a place to hang out. You know, we can get on YouTube any day of the week and get a full breakdown of any solo that we want to learn. So the idea of like selling that doesn't exist. So when someone's like, well, what's my dollar worth? Cause you have to remember like, what is your dollar worth? I just started going, what would 18 year old me pay for? Hmm. And I, it camaraderie is the first thing because 18 year olds want to get in fraternities or social clubs and you look in camaraderie is the first thing. I'm not in the business of selling guitar licks. I'm in the business of community building. Mm. My community is amazing. Like my guys get on our discord chat and they're sharing stuff all the time. And, uh, it's fun. Like I get on there for fun. I feel like it's, you know, just a true blessing, you know, and that ties to woodshed. I know you get on, like people are going to get online and go look at how much expense it's expensive. It's like 2,500 bucks, 2,800 bucks last year, but it's three days and there's, you're right there with not not a billion other people like people pay five six hundred bucks like i just paid almost 600 bucks for jason isbell tickets right and you're just going to the concert 
Maybe you buy a VIP pack, you're now 1200 bucks in, and you get 20 minutes with the artist, maybe, and they just cycle you through and you take pictures. I was like, what would I, as a kid, I didn't have money, what would I take out a bank loan for? You're telling me Brent Mason, Joe Bonamassa, Robin Ford, Andy Timmons, Greg Cock, Mark Letary, all you guys, Adam and Jim Riley, Travis Story, like Band of Doom, are going to be in the same place for three days and there's about 80 people there and I get to hang out with them, I would have sold my foot for that. <laughs> I'll, chop, I'll chop it off. I got another one. I'm not even going to get another chance to go hang out with Brent. You know what I mean? You can that's still how, play guitar if you don't have a foot. Yeah, that's why I didn't say hands. You know, <laughs> like, But that's the reality is like I was coming at it from a point of like what what is worth it? And then to see guys leave and the memories that we make, the stories that guys tell, and people are already looking forward to the next years and the next years and like, man, it's like, who are you getting this year, you know? And like, I, I can already say we're getting uh, Nick Johnson's already confirmed. Tom Quill's coming in from nice. Europe. So we're going international, you know, this next amazing. year. So it's going to be really amazing. Uh, more lineup to come, you know. Uh, but yeah, the, the 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 property is on a beautiful lakefront site. And we do multiple stages. Nobody has to choose which artists that you want to go to their class. A lot of camps do this like, well, if you see Mateus, you can't see Andy. You know, they're doing it at the same time. We don't do that. Like, we do it where everybody gets to hang out all the time with whoever they want. And one of the things that we, you know, make clear to all the artists is like, hey, man, we, we hang out together. So if you don't want to hang out with people, maybe this isn't a gig for you. But if you love the community of guitar, you know, and, and we tell our we tell our campers that too. It's like, look, you don't have to hound these guys. They're gonna be here for three and a half days. And you, and you know, Adam, it's like you sit guys can sit and eat breakfast with, with all the cats. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and it lowers that stress level and that awkwardness. Cause the moment you start putting up barriers, it's immediately super awkward. But if everybody's cool, like that's another thing with woodshed is we work heavily on the honor system. Now we send out guidelines like, please, you know, be respectful or whatever. But like in general, just be cool. Cause we're all here. Cause we love guitar. Yeah. You know, and, and, and a highlight for me is watching the other artists faces while other artists are playing like during yeah. the sets and the jams, you're just watching people light up because the moment Brent plays, it's like, God, this is one of the greatest on earth. The moment Andy plays, it's just like, God, Andy Timmons is so great. And then Greg, it's like you constantly see this joy like unfolding across the stage and it's very infectious. You know what I mean? You talked about, you know, taking the stress level down. And that's one of the, one of my favorite things about the camp is that like you said, it's so immersive. It's so relational. You could sit down, hang out with, with these with these heroes. Um, not only is it stress relieving for the students, but also for the artists as well. Because you know, you know, you think about it. It's like for the artists, if if they feel like they have to be on at all times, or if there's this expectation of this, it's so cool because it just it lets down all the auspices of of expectation, and it's just a hang, and everybody has a great time. I think that comes from a, a core point of view of like, this isn't, I'm not a business entrepreneur first. I'm a guitar slinger first. So I know all those feelings of having to be on. And the last thing I want to do is present that to the, to the guys that I love that are, that are coming and hanging out. And like, you know, one of our favorite things is like we, at night after the campers all cash out, we, we go back to our, we got a couple of big houses, you know, and like we're sitting out there picking, listening to music and just like enjoying it too. It's like, that's that uh, sound cheesy. I'm going to sound cheesy again. It's like, that is the magic. The magic is the vibe and the hang. And that's the thing that I really try to take from, my love of going to, you know, Disney as a kid, I was like, man, the magic is they don't tell you no. Like, I've been to so many hotels on the planet. And like, hey, man, can I get some of this? Like, ah, we don't really do that. Like, Disney will never flat out tell you no. They'll just be like, we don't offer that like this, but we offer the, you know, it's like, yeah. and I just always had that mental note of like, they want to keep you immersed. They yep. want to keep you there. And that's, that's what I want to do. And so my Woodshed Patreon came as a really an extension of the camp i wanted a place for all the campers to come and hang afterwards and of course i make content like i could break down all the tiers and the things that i offer but the reality is is like it's about the hang yeah. my, most people subscribe at my 25 dollar a tier uh, a month so they can 
join in our live weekly master classes that we're we're doing we're doing it tonight actually and like most people are there to hang and learn and we have a discord server that's exclusive just for our patreon members and again you see the common theme isn't like i teach alternate picking better than it. it's like dude it's not that of course i know of course that's a, the 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 next layers is like andy how do you play this or like what's your thoughts when you're improvising that or what kind of pedal is this like those things are natural but those would naturally happen if we were all at a bar hanging out we'd be talking about the same shit anyway right. you know what i mean it's like we're just sitting hanging out and be like man what do you think about when you're playing over an yeah. altered chord you yeah. know what i mean so if you if you create an environment that's safe and happy yeah. Like that's the thing. That's really the magic. And of course, you know, you guys, if you're interested, you can go check it out. Um, basic level gets you all the videos, and then the next one gets you Discord. The next one gets you a weekly live masterclass. The next one up from there allows you to take a video or, or of your session or let or see you playing, and then I'll evaluate it. And then the top one gets you a 30 minute uh, lesson. So yeah, it's, it's just it's it's just one of those things that's the fundamental root is community and hang it's like what we're doing right now but just with 300 people you know well thank you for doing that and and uh you know again everybody out there be sure to to check that out also check out the woodshed camp and um learn more about it this these are andy's providing some really incredible unique experiences for people that go beyond just the virtual of you know everything just being an online at a distance arm's length type thing um, you can't download a hang that's yeah. what the camp's about you can't download those those memories you gotta be there you gotta yeah anything else before we wrap up that that you want to share with anyone any any projects you have coming up or anything else you want to announce or anything like that and yeah there's uh there's a really cool small event and it's limited like super super limited to 25 slots i think i think it's 25 maybe 30. corfu rock school in greece um some of the slots have already started filling up uh but it's a week long on corfu island in greece wow incredible value turnkey it's resort food and then of course the the guitar playing and i'm the i'm the artist this year they've had amazing players they've incredible. had Ronald, they've had greg how i think and and tony mcalpine they have some re really top shelf players and this year uh they've asked me to do it we actually had it for one of the covid years but i feel like you know it's like that that ceased all <laughs> travels but we're gonna do it this year it's in july so check that out um outside of that you can simply go to andywoodmusic.com. That's basically my hub for everything. So if you want to download patches for your axe effects that I've made, you can get those there. Transcriptions, all the it's standard fare type of things. But you can also see what dates I'm playing, uh, and that goes across if it's a hired gun thing or not. So it'll say, you know, with Gary or with this or whatever. So keep an eye on that, and if you're interested in any of the uh, the the new pedals that we've released and the gear, all of that stuff's on andywoodmusic.com. It'll just link you right up. Uh, that's my handle on Instagram and basically everywhere. So fantastic, and we'll uh, we'll put the links visually in this video as well, so people can can check those out. But um, wow, man, what a killer conversation! Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, thanks for having me, Adam. It was it was Adam. truly an honor, man. Well, I. I am such a huge fan of yours, man, for, for so many reasons. And, um, it's so great to finally have you on here and I can't wait to, uh, can't wait to see what the next year holds for you. And, um, and especially coming up on your, your events, I can't wait to play with you again more than anything oh, else. Yeah, man. We got, we're definitely gonna do some picking. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much again, once again, everybody, thanks for checking out the podcast and uh, stay tuned for more cool content coming your way. I just want to thank everyone for listening. Take care. God bless.